Father, truly, it is amazing love. And how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And those of us who are born again, uh, with true rejoicing in our hearts, uh, confess that to you, amazed by your grace to us each and every day. We thank you, God, that we can go to your word now and uh, be refreshed in it. And I pray, God, that um, just uh, what you have for us today would, would uh, be convicting and encouraging and uh, cause us once again to admire and honor and praise and seek to glorify you because it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's turn to Mark chapter 10. We're picking back up in this wonderful gospel. And our passage today follows the story of the rich young ruler who sadly walked away from Christ because he wasn't willing to give up his earthly riches for, as Paul puts it, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus as his Lord. And so we might call today's passage part two of the story, even though I didn't technically call it that, because this ensuing dialogue between Jesus and his disciples is caused by what just happened with the rich young ruler. And we recall that the rich young ruler had like everything going for him, right? Wealthy, young, held a high position in society, authority, influence, property owner, many possessions, respect, He had it all, and his attitude even in approaching Jesus was one of sincerity and genuineness and was respectful. He was bowed down before the Lord and asking him, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? But upon Jesus' loving words, loving words, to sell everything that he has and to give to the poor and to come and follow him with the promise of eternal treasure, The rich young ruler was unwilling to do that. And so ultimately, he refused Jesus' love and Jesus' lordship. So this leads to Jesus' exclamation in verse 23. How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. So I'm going to read today's text with that review and introduction. So um, we'll read... uh, Mark 10, verses 23 to 27, which is our passage this morning. So if you are able, please stand up with me as I read these five verses. Mark 10, starting verse 23, we're going to 27 today. And our title today is The God of the Impossible. Verse 23, And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, With people, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Please be seated. Amen. The God of the impossible. We have two points here today. They're they're very just uh, outlined sketches. 
two main things that uh, we want to talk about. There's a sub-point in the first one. But the first is in verses 23 to 25. I didn't give you an insert today. You can just kind of jot it down if you want. But verses 23 to 25 is the stunning reality about the wealthy. The stunning reality about the wealthy. And it says that Jesus was looking around there. So perhaps there were others there, perhaps not. But Jesus looks around and he speaks directly to his disciples, the twelve. And what he said perplexed them greatly. They were stunned when he said how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. So I just want to pause here for those who are wealthy. We understand that. People with abundance of money, lots of possessions, material wealth. Obviously, for example, like this rich young man, right, who just walked away from the Lord. But today we might think of people with that abundance of wealth, millionaires, multimillionaires, right, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, people like that. Maybe just people who are generally rich, well-off, doctors, lawyers, business leaders, CEOs. Maybe people who own a lot of land, property owners. Maybe we can think of famous athletes, like LeBron James and Stephen Curry. Hey, for basketball alone, they make $40 million a year, 40-plus per year. Just let that sink in a little bit. Celebrities, the Kardashians, right? We know all this. Having said that, probably most of us here this morning wouldn't consider ourselves to be rich or wealthy people. So we're in no real danger. We have nothing to stumble over. This passage doesn't seem to apply to us all that much. But I want us to consider for a moment, in relative terms, the the riches that we do have, at least in comparison with the world at large. So um, last year, 2021, there was an estimated 698 million people, or 9% of the global population, who live in extreme poverty. And what do we mean by extreme poverty? Uh, living on less than $1.90 per day. So 600, almost 700 million people. Over one-fifth of the global population live below this higher poverty line. Some, somebody like adds all this up. and um, $3.20 per day. Yeah, that's considered the higher poverty line. So that's 1.8 billion people. Okay? Over 20% of the world live on less than $3.20 per day. Over two-fifths of the world, that's 3.3 billion people. Over 40% of the global population live below $5.50 per day. Okay, this is still considered uh, in poverty. $5.50, context considered, just life considered, like cultures considered, this is still considered poverty. So as we let those numbers sink in a little bit, um, how about hunger? Okay, hungry people. 2018, 821.6 million people are suffering from hunger. Okay, or one in nine people. In Asia, that's over 513 million people. In Africa, over 256 million. In Latin America and the Caribbean, 42.5 million. Um, there's another s- statistic. The, the number of moderately or severely food insecure. Okay, basically not knowing like, if they're going to eat like, you know, this afternoon. 
Okay, two billion people. This is from 2018, 26% of the globe. We could talk about babies and children who are affected by wasting and stunting and low birth weight. I, I won't get into all that. But truly, as our Lord said, the poor you will have with you always. Okay, but consider these statistics of our prosperous, prosperous country. And this was from a, a, just a few years back. The average American spends 20 cents per day on cosmetics, perfume, and skin and hair products. And when you just average it out over the course of a year. The average American spends over 50 cents a day on jewelry, about $3 a day on furniture and household goods, over $3 a day on clothing, over $6 a day on gambling, over $7 a day on automobiles, and over $9 a day on food. Right? So when you kind of put that together with the, the number of billions of people who, who live on $550 a day. It kind of helps us a little bit, right? So um, billions uh, more uh, people don't have adequate food or um, clothing or shelter. Okay, on the other hand, most of us here today woke up with a decent home, plenty of clothes, okay, probably too much clothes, right? Closet, drawers. Uh, some money in our wallets, change in our cars, enough food to survive for many days. So I'm, I'm pointing all of this out, folks, uh, not to make us all feel guilty, uh, nor to say that we're all millionaires, okay, or even thousandaires. But I will say that, relatively speaking, we could be considered rich. And just trying to put a little perspective on things today. I mean, if you compare yourself to other people that you know, Maybe you wouldn't think of yourself as so rich. But again, looking at this globally, I would submit that all of us are, okay, in a sense. When you think about it, even our financial problems, right, our financial worries like debts that we have or payments that we need to make, those would be like welcomed luxuries by a lot of the world's population. Okay, so the point is this. Even though we might not be rich young rulers, Okay, this passage in Mark, well-known as it is, okay, is and has much to say to us today. So back to the text, verse 23. How hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And so to be clear, Jesus says this a number of times, enter the kingdom of God. Okay, Jesus is talking about entering heaven, right? about obtaining eternal life. The very question that the rich young ruler asked him, he's talking about being saved Okay, it's not this uh, just mystical or, or just spiritual realm, um, just being in God's favor. It's talking about salvation. He's emphasizing salvation. Heaven is extremely hard for those who are wealthy to get into. And so the disciples are amazed at his words. Okay, they're astonished, even utterly astonished at what he just said. So why is that? I think we touched on this uh, two weeks ago, but... It's because in Jewish culture, the rich were considered to be blessed and favored by God. Okay, so they always thought of wealth as a sign of divine blessing, a reward for piety. Okay, they did not think it was a danger. They thought it was an advantage. And this goes along with their works righteousness system of religion, right? So the disciples are thinking, and these, these rich folks got to be doing something right. You know, all this monetary blessing that they have. 
The rich were at the front of the line for heaven in their view. The poor, on the other hand, were cursed by God in the back of the line, according to this simplistic and mistaken theology. And so those who were poor were were prone to covetousness and envious of the rich. And it's like it's like that classical classic musical, Fiddler on the Roof, right? When Perchik, that young socialist revolutionary, he says, Money is the world's curse. And so what does what does Tevye say, the, the struggling poor farmer, barely getting by? He replies, May the Lord smite me with it, and may I never recover. <laughs> so the disciples, like the rest of society, especially in the Jewish culture there, they had this erroneous view of prosperity and who gets it, what it's for, and the Lord is needing to teach them. And he didn't envy the rich. He didn't think them better off. He says wealth is actually a terrible handicap. It's a stumbling block to eternal life. I think we all remember that Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Right? You cannot serve God and wealth. Matthew chapter, chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. And this was the rich young ruler's problem. And I want to submit that this could be a problem for some of us here today. And who are we serving? And do we have our money or does our money have us? How much money, how much comfort, how much security is enough? John D. Rockefeller, who back in the day owned 90% of the oil and gas industry of his time, his net worth by himself was 1% of the United States economy. Someone asked him that question, how much money is enough? And you know what he said? He said, just a little bit more. So I'm going to give us a a helpful hint, just by way of... um, helping us evaluate ourselves. You can tell what your priorities are by how much time you spend in pursuit of them okay? and where your money is spent. How much time and where it's spent. Okay? Money, possessions, accumulating wealth. I understand everyone has to make a living, right? Everyone has to make a living. Everyone has to survive. Everyone has to look to the future. I get it. But we, everyone also needs to be aware of the stumbling block of earthly riches. This is kind of the the big idea, the theme of this passage. There's need, and then there's greed, right? Biblical wisdom and godliness is required to evaluate. So how much time do I spend in pursuit of money and things that money can buy? How much time? Obviously, there's work time, but then there's overtime, right? Right? And then there's obsessing about work um, after overtime and all the rest. Versus this, in comparison, okay, spiritual treasures, okay, which Jesus says to store up for yourselves. It's a, it's a command, dear fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. So this is pursuing Christ. This is chasing after him, running hard after God. This is pursuing eternal spiritual things, thinking on him, doing what he says, being in his word, serving his church, ministering to others, sharing him with the lost. How much time is spent in pursuit of these eternal treasures? 
I think that's a, a fair and good gut check and heart question to ask. Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Hey, where's our treasure this morning, dear Faith Bible Church? Is it on the things of this temporal earth, hey, which is all going to go by the wayside, right? Garage sale, garbage dump, garbage dump, government auction. That's where all our possessions end up eventually. Are we storing up treasures here on this earth, or are they being stored up in heaven? Jeremiah 9, 23-24. And thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not a wise man boast of his might. Mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts, boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. And so that boasting, folks, is, is not talking about bragging or, or talking about self. It's where we're finding our satisfaction. Let not a wise man find satisfaction and trust in his wisdom. A strong man, a mighty man, trust in and find satisfaction in his own health and strength and, and might. Let not a rich man find his satisfaction and trust in his riches. But we must boast and be satisfied in knowing God. Okay, J.I. Packer, in his classic book called Knowing God, he says this, quote, What were we made for? Do we know what we were made for this morning, Faith Bible Church? It's to know God. Hey, we, what aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God. That's what Jesus said in John 17. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. What is the best thing in life? bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else, knowledge of God. What, of all the states God, has, God ever sees man in, gives him most pleasure? Knowledge of himself. He says in Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings, says God, end quote. And so contentment, godliness, folks, Growing in godliness can be thought of as growing in that satisfaction of knowing and understanding who God is. Okay? Of course, it's, it's becoming more holy. It's becoming more like God. It's becoming more like Christ. But another thought is godliness, is, is being growing in that satisfaction of understanding him and, and our relationship with him day by day, week by week, month by month. They pass so quickly, don't they? 1 Timothy 6 Verses 6 through 11. Just, um, you can turn there or you can just listen. Okay, First Timothy 6, verses 6 through 11. The Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. And then Paul sounds an alarm here, folks, and we need to listen. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare 
and many foolish and harmless desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And once again, we might not think of ourselves as as greedy, money-hungry, rich people, but think about your pursuits. Think about what you spend your time chasing after. Think about where you spend your money. And think about how much time you spend for things that money can buy. Paul is sounding the alarm here to Timothy and to us. Then he says in verse 11, But flee from these things. Run away. You man of God, you fellow Christian, you fellow brother, sister in Christ, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. In other words, our whole life is to be pursuing godliness. It's pursuing spiritual things. It's pursuing spiritual, eternal treasure in heaven. In our very, very busy days, a part of the reason why we're so busy is because we're, we're in such pursuit of the almighty dollar. We need to be aware this morning that wealth is a stumbling block to the real treasures we ought to be pursuing, the things of God and God himself. So as a sub-point uh, for this first part here, uh, I want us to consider why it's so difficult for the wealthy to enter heaven. Okay, why wealth is such a, a hindrance, as Jesus says. Okay, i got six quick things here. Okay, six quick ways money and riches can cause people to stumble. And this may, may apply to believers, uh, to unbelievers, Six ways money and riches can cause people to stumble. Number one, money and riches can become an idol in your life. And this is just a a reality. Money and riches can become an idol in your life. And I I believe I I mentioned this uh, two Sundays ago. So the rich young ruler, ultimately, he was breaking the first and second commandments. He he claimed to keep all the, the, the horizontal ones, right? But you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol okay, to worship or serve them. So anything that you put above God, that you prioritize above God in your life, is an idol. And this is what you're actually serving and living for. So once again, those, those questions are, are important, aren't they? How much time? How much pursuit? What course of the day, week, month, year? And what are we actually sp- what does our checkbook tell us? Second thing, second way can cause people to stumble. Money and riches can tempt people to selfish hoarding. H-O-A-R-D-I-N-G, hoarding. And I think if I just read it, it'll be just helpful enough, okay? Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a parable. Luke 12, and I'm going to start in verse 16 to 21 it goes. Luke 12, starting verse 16. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive, And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. This is kind of like blatant hedonism, right? This is, like, this is like the American dream that we're being sold on every 
you know, commercial, an ad that we, we watch. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. And this is like the, the rich fool, right? We have the rich young ruler and we have the rich fool. You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? And Jesus says, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So money and riches can tempt people to, to selfish hoarding. Related to that, the next one, money and riches can, can bring false hope, false trust, and false security. False hope, false trust, false security. I read a portion of 1 Timothy 6 before. I'm going to continue. Verses 17 to 19. So helpful. Paul ends, actually, this, this epistle to Timothy with these words towards the very end there. He says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but fix your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them, instruct the rich. Okay, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Again, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Okay, that future that he's talking about is eternity, is heaven. Store up that treasure for yourselves. Money and riches can bring false hope, false trust, false security. Fourth out of six here, money and riches can keep us bound too tightly to this world. Can keep us bound too tightly to this world. Again, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, verse 19, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. And then Paul in Colossians 3, verses 1 and 2, he says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, Colossians, Christians, Faith Bible Church, brothers and sisters, you have been raised up with Christ. Since you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on earth. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Money and riches and wealth and stuff can keep us too bound to this, these things on earth. We need to have a, a loose grip on all of our stuff. Fifth, money and riches can often lead to other sins. Can often lead to other sins. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10 again. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Okay, that's, that's the exact quote, right? Money is not the root of all evil. It says the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And there's so many sad stories of those who have hit the lottery. Maybe some of you have heard about those. And they get into all sorts of immorality, materialism, wanton spending and living, just sinful behavior. Most lose it all, and it doesn't take that long a time to lose millions of dollars. Wealth and abundance tends to lead to selfishness, self-gratification, self-fulfillment. Okay? All these self-centered sins. Lastly, money and riches can impede 
the very characteristics needed for someone to enter heaven. It can impede the very characteristics needed for someone to enter heaven. What am I talking about? I'm talking about what Jesus said in Mark 10, which we were not in. Um, we were in just a, a, a few months ago. Mark 10, verse 15. You remember? Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. So what did Jesus mean by that? Enter like a child or receive the kingdom of God like a child. He's talking about childlike faith, childlike trust and teachability. All of that, all of those characteristics tend to suffer when we have an abundance of riches or money or wealth. We, we, we get too self-smart and self-involved and we become just too wise, right? It's like that, that wisdom of fools. So according to our Lord, the rich are not really privileged. Okay? They're, they're actually the underprivileged. And he wants us to be aware that earthly wealth is quite the stumbling block to entering God's kingdom. So let's continue because probably some of you have questions. Upon his disciples' astonishment at this teaching, what does Jesus say at the second part of 24 and 25? He answers them again, says to them, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Children, right? This is a term of understanding of his young in the faith disciples, his spiritually immature dear ones. And he speaks this with affectionate sympathy towards them. He says again how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Notice that he doesn't specify the rich there, does he? He just says how hard it is to enter. Okay, hard in general, difficult for anyone. So I, I refer back to the Sermon on the Mount again at the end, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14, when he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. But back to Mark chapter 10 in context, he does seem to be referring mainly to the rich, but the general truth of, of this equally shocking statement will be clarified next. And it's not only difficult, but actually utterly impossible for anyone to enter heaven by their own power or own will or own merit. And he says, or John says, John writes, the Apostle John writes in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It has to be from God. Romans 3, verses 23 and 24, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift, a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, Romans 3, 23 and 24. So Jesus follows that up by saying in verse 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, it's utterly impossible. It would be easier for a camel 
you know, the largest beast of burden in Palestine in those days, to go through the eye of a common sewing needle. Okay, there's a, a certain level of hyperbolic humor in Jesus' words here. Okay, as difficult or impossible as it is, um, just an absurd picture, right? For, for that, something like that to happen, even harder and more impossible for the rich to get to heaven. So uh, a quick footnote here. Okay, some tried to, to tone down the force of this obvious point that Jesus is making through this word picture, where he's denoting something that's impossible. So there's some who say that the, the Greek there, the Greek word is actually kamilas, meaning rope, or like cable for, for a ship, instead of kamelas, which means camel. So they're saying that Jesus meant that word rather than the other one. But think about it. It's just as impossible for a rope, right, or, or a cable that anchors a ship to, to, to pass through the eye of a needle, right? So then other people say that, um, that the eye of a needle actually refers to a small gate, right, a, a four-foot by three-foot gate in the, the Jerusalem city walls that pedestrians could pass through, but a, a big old camel would have to kind of, you know, crane their neck and bend down and, and just get squeezed through there. Um, but there's, there's actually no historical evidence for such a gate. So neither of those attempts to negate the force of what Jesus is saying is legitimate. He's using this hyperbole to, to make a real point, which is that in and of himself, despite the advantages and divine favor and blessings from God that a rich man seems to have, it's not possible for him to enter heaven. So this leads, thankfully, to our next clarifying point. Okay? Verses 26 and 27 is the priceless truth about God. The priceless truth about God. And the disciples need to hear this because they're even more shocked. And they say, who can, then who can be saved? They're, they're more stunned, more dumbstruck. They're flabbergasted at this point. Wait, you're saying it's pretty much impossible for a rich man to get into heaven. So if that's the case, who on earth can? Careful attention to the question. They say, who on earth can, right? Who can be saved? So who can enter the kingdom of God? Who can be saved from their sins? Who can be saved from God's wrath against their sin? Who can be saved from condemnation from God? Who can be saved from eternal judgment in hell? And Jesus says, and he's looking straight at them. With people, it is impossible, but not with God. And with people, it is impossible. What's impossible? What is it? A salvation. Entering the kingdom. Entering heaven. Earning, meriting any of this. Okay? It is impossible with people, but not with God. Why? Because all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. Okay, this is a. Uh, some people take misadventures and taking verses out of context and say, you know, we can do anything because if we have God, we can do any all things. Right? It's like Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But we have to qualify that with the surrounding context. And in this context, he's talking about salvation, okay? even and including the salvation of sinners, rich or poor or anyone in between, is possible with God. He is capable of doing what is not possible at all with people. He can make dead sinners come to life. 
He can rescue the poor. He can rescue the rich. He can rescue the middle class. He can rescue anyone. Which hopefully clears up the question that some of you may have been asking. Right? Well, so are you saying, is Jesus saying that all wealthy folks are excluded from heaven? Okay, all rich people are, are just kept out of, of, of salvation? The answer is no. And hopefully that's obvious to us. But I want to make it clear. And okay, he's saying that there are difficulties. There are hindrances, those stumbling blocks that people who are wealthy have. The issue again is this. Is there trust in their money, their wealth, and possessions, or is there trust in God? I think it's a beautiful irony that our, our currency, our country's currency says, in God we trust, right? It continues to say that. But Jesus is saying, and he has been saying, it is impossible to serve and follow God and serve and follow riches, so the alarm to us a little bit this morning, maybe, is that some of us are, are trying to do both. Okay, we're trying to follow and pursue and, and chase after money and the things that money can, can get us now or in the future. And, 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 and then we're, we're also trying to follow God. Jesus says you, you can't serve both. You can't worship both. You can't, you can't do both. For those who are trusting in money in that kind of way, yes, it's impossible for them to enter heaven. But to be clear, he's not saying that the rich are excluded from heaven. Okay, they, just like everyone else, need to experience the saving work of God through the hearing of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. And by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, they're called to respond in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and submit to his love, submit to his lordship once and for all. As Jesus says, with people it is impossible. It's not possible for a person to save himself. Okay? Salvation, it's, it's not a human achievement. It's not something uh, a sinful person can achieve, no matter how much money they have or how little they have, but not so with God because he is rich in mercy. He's overflowing with grace. He showers us with loving kindness. He's the one who grants that kindness to sinners, which allows them to repent and believe, Romans chapter 2. So all things are possible with God, specifically and especially and incredibly, even the salvation of wretched sinners like us. Okay, even, even those who you know in your family who are well off, okay, God is able to save even them. Salvation is the giving of eternal life, of entrance into heaven. It's a supernatural work of transformation and something that only God can accomplish. Now, thankfully, we have those examples in Scripture, right? Of wealthy people, Joseph of Arimathea, a rich man who had faith in Jesus, saved. Zacchaeus, repented of his sin, followed, obeyed Christ, saved. Wealthy woman in Mark chapter 14, which we'll get to in a while, saved. Jairus, the synagogue official from Mark 5, which we've already been to, saved. Lydia, the seller of Purple Fabrics, part of the founding of the Philippian Church, saved. So we can praise and thank God that he is the God of salvation, the God that grants eternal life by his grace. So I want to conclude by re 
reminding us that King Solomon was richer than any king of his day, okay, to the point where all of his drinking vessels were made out of gold. Okay, silver didn't cut it. Okay, silver wasn't considered to be of, of any value in his day because he made it to be as common as stones. You read that in, in 1 Kings chapter 10. But it's interesting to note that the very next, next chapter of Kings, chapter 11, it shows Solomon turning away from the Lord in deference to the gods of his many wives, hundreds of wives. And this can be seen as representative of Israel. And continually in their history, they neglect the very God who blessed them, and they, they trusted in other things. And we should take a heart check, a gut check this morning. Who are we trusting? What are we pursuing? What are we chasing after? Ecclesiastes 5.10, the very Solomon writes this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This, too, is vanity. In other words, our riches, no matter how much or how many, they're false hope. Just like we said before, false security. And that's completely counterculture. It's completely against the values of the world that we're being taught and sold. But we know that wealth can't redeem us. It cannot buy back our souls from its slavery to sin. Never, ever, ever. Only God in Christ by the Holy Spirit has that power. And he is the God of the impossible. Let us trust in him, rejoice in him, and praise him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you are the one who is rich in mercies, and you promise us all the riches of heaven for eternity, forever and ever and ever. Please help us this morning, God, not to live for the temporal satisfactions and promises of this world which lie to us and give us a false sense of comfort and and hope and security. But rather, God, let us look to you. Let us fix our hope on the eternal treasures and obey Jesus who says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven or nothing, none of those are, are can be taken away from us. For where our treasure is there, our heart will be also. Thank you for this, this clear word, God, to, to us, Faith Bible Church today. And I pray, Lord, that um, just uh, we, we have been edified and encouraged and, and caused to, to evaluate ourselves that we might live more and more for Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.